Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time of worship and fellowship so far this morning. And once again, as we open your word and uh, Father, since uh, Easter, you have led us uh, into a series on biblical hope, Lord. And for many, it has been liberating. For many, it has been, Lord, uh, life changing, transforming, because many of us uh, really probably paid very little attention to biblical hope and what that means for us even today. Even today, even before we leave here. So, so Father, as we open your word, once again, we, we yield, we acknowledge it's your word. It's truth. It is the word of God. God breathed. And Lord, we also acknowledge our dependence on the Holy Spirit to, Lord, bring us the understanding and the application. Lord, we don't want to uh, be hearers and not doers because you say that we're deluded if, if, that's our, if that's our plan, Lord. And we don't want that, Lord. We want to be transformed by your truth. So, Lord, speak to us collectively, speak to us individually, uh, help us to understand it. And then, Lord, very specifically, uh, Lord, as we said at the beginning of service, bring the bring the application, bring the victory, bring the victory today in Jesus name. Amen. Came across an article titled Americans Pessimistic About Country's Future. It's a survey from March 21st of this year. Very interesting in light of biblical hope and outlook and everything for the future. It says this, a majority of Americans in a new poll said they believe the country is headed for a dark future in which the middle class shrinks, the economy suffers, and life becomes more difficult for children, families, and the elderly. The survey from the Pew Research Center shows that on the surface, hope springs eternal for the American public. 56% of whom say they are very or somewhat optimistic about the future of the country. But below the surface, the study paints a picture of a deeply pessimistic country, one that sees partisanship and the gap between rich and poor on the rise and morality and the quality of life on the decline. That pessimistic outlook comes as the number of Americans who say the country is headed off on the wrong track rises steadily, even with a booming economy, record low unemployment, and rising wages. While Americans seem to maintain an optimistic outlook about the future in general, there is almost no area where optimism overcomes pessimism when they are asked to forecast the state of the nation in 2050. So, very, very telling. Uh, That last paragraph, there is almost no area where optimism overcomes pessimism when they are asked to forecast the state of the nation in 2050. 2050. How many of you haven't even thought about lunch today? (laughs) So, they ask how you feel about the state of the country 31 years from now, and there's no area where optimism outweighs pessimism. It's, it's a very telling article from a, from a very just informative, secular, uh, you know, informative type of survey about people's general sense of optimism, pessimism, view of the future. View of the future. How do you feel about the future? Are you optimistic, pessimistic, somewhere in between, right? And, and I thought of that in light of uh, our series on biblical hope. Because biblical hope is all about the future. Right? 
And, and so, so really kind of the question is, in a general sense, I can pose it to you. If we did a survey here in a general sense, how do you feel about the future? So how do you feel about, right now, as you sit here, how do you feel about the future of the country? But let's just make it real. How do you feel about your future? Right? How do you feel about your financial future? How do you feel about your relational future? How do you feel about your marital future? How do you feel about your kids' future? How do you feel about your health future? How do you feel about your future, right? All these different areas of our life, right? How are you feeling this morning about your future? And then we can even make it even more specific in light of uh, what we've been talking about the last few weeks. As a Christian, how do you feel about the future? Right? As a Christian, we've been talking about biblical hope. So if you've been not just hearing but applying what biblical hope actually is and what it means for us in 2019, there should be pretty much a consensus as a Christian about how you feel about the future. And it's called hope. It's called hope. Since, since Easter, we've kind of sprung, you know, launched us into this mini-series on biblical hope, right? 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, resurrection. Jesus raises from the dead. Okay, what's the big deal? Well, He's alive. And the fact that he's alive means that you and me as a believer, we have living hope. Living hope. Now, very important. We've talked about this last week. The world defines hope as, as uncertainty. I hope so. I hope I get the job. I hope I get the raise. I hope I get a relationship, right? I hope the Dodgers win, right? Right. So you see, we layer this, right? We got this down, Randy, right there. He, he didn't even know that was coming. And he, he just went. so we live in hope. So the world's definition of hope is hope. So uncertainty. I'm, I'm unsure. Right. Biblical hope is hope. Sure. Hope. Sure. How is it hope? Sure. Because Jesus surely rose from the dead. Amen. The resurrection completely, from a biblical worldview, changes, flips the definition of hope for me and you as believers from hope so to hope sure. To hope sure. And what's cool is when you live in the world of hope sure, you live above circumstance. You live above your feelings. You live above your feelings. Last week's sermon title was Living Hope, Certainty versus Circumstance. How many of us, even as Christians, live under the world's circumstance? You're circumstance-driven. Your job, people like you, likes, dislikes, friend, unfriend, get a raise, don't get a raise, your health. How many of you are just circumstance-driven? Versus biblical hope being, no, certainty. Right? Certainty. We've seen in the past, what is biblical hope? An eager, confident expectation. A joyful expectation. Right? Certain that something good is going to happen from God. What is our certainty rooted in? The resurrection. The resurrection. That's why I've said for the last few weeks, you got to drive a stake in the ground about the resurrection. It's not just like some myth and something that we sort of celebrate as a one-off. I got to tell you, again, in the timeline of Earth's history, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen... Why are you here? 
And if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. We're not here to just kind of make you feel good. We're not, this is not a feel-good thing. This is not a spiritual adrenaline rush. This is not an emotional roller. Hey, let's just get them hyped. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen as a historical fact and event in the timeline of Earth's history, close the doors, turn this into another gym. It's ridiculous for us to be here. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. You're still in your sin. I'm still in my sin. Preaching is futile. We have no hope. Zero. You got to nail that. You got to you got to drive the stick in the ground. You got to nail that down. You got to do your research. You got to pray. You got to get counsel. You have to tack down the resurrection because living in hope sure is rooted in that. In that. Because that happened, really? I'm good. Right? I'm confident. I'm confident of God's word says. I'm confident of the future. I've read the end of the book. I know how the story ends. I'm confident. Amen? Right? You got to tack that down. You got to tack that down. We see a couple quotes from John Piper. Living hope is hope that has power and produces changes in life. This is what living means in Hebrew. 4.12 where it says the word of God is living and effective. So Christian hope is a strong confidence in God which has power to produce changes in how we live. See, it's present tense in how we live. If you're living in hope, sure, it should be impacting you right now, every day. And I got to tell you, ever since, even for me personally, just as a follower of Jesus, ever since the message uh, on the resurrection, I have, in my own life, disciplined myself to live in hope, sure. You're like, you're the pastor, aren't you supposed to do that? Well, you know, it's so funny because sometimes I'm up here and like I'm, I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to me because I'm listening to the other ear. And I'm like, hey, that was pretty good. I got big notes. You know, and it's like, because sometimes stuff comes out that's not even on my notes. It's kind of like crazy. But you live in the world of hope, sure. And I have for two, three weeks every day. It's hope, sure. It's hope, sure. Confident expectation. And it has changed. It has changed, and I realized, I didn't realize as a believer how oppressed I was, how suppressed I was, how depressed I was. Because over time, I just became circumstance-driven and burdened. And over the last two or three weeks, there's been this just this gradual, progressive, sanctifying, transforming, as I've been sort of shedding being so circumstance-driven and circumstance-burdened and living more in confidence. Just more in confidence. Things that would spin me into worry and fear and anxiety and insecurity, eh, not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. Right? Is that what you're living? Alan Carr says this, Our hope is a living hope that is sure, certain, and real, as opposed to the deceptive, empty, false hope the world offers. You see... Many in our day are pinning their hopes on their 401k plan. Many have their hope in the stock market. Some have their hope in their health or their family. This is a hope based in wishful thinking. When the New Testament uses the word hope, it does not refer to a fond wish or desire. It means a confident assurance based on the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an excited response. An excited response. You wake up, you have biblical hope, you kind of enter the day whole different. 
Because you realize no matter what happens, God is still on the throne. No matter what happens, all things work for the good. So you don't wake up with this victim mentality, this woe is me, this running around afraid of the world, scared Christian lifestyle. You wake up and you go, here I am, world. Hope sure. What's the worst you can do? Kill me? Okay, I'm in heaven. My father's in, on the throne. You start, it just radically changes. This biblical hope, right? And it, I love this, it produces an excited response. See, it's got to affect your emotions. It's got to affect your, right? Randy, are you excited, enthused to go to a Dodger game? Dollar Dodger Dog Night, right? I went with him to Dollar Dodger Dog Night. Wow, that is like tough. And I had never been to a Dodger game. I'm a Padre fan. But I was going to, you know, went in Rome. I was going to take one for the team. Even went to Walmart, bought me a little Dodger cap to wear so I would kind of like be stealth. Didn't want to show up with my Padre hat, right? You should have seen when I went home a couple of weeks ago, I was with my family. I said, hey, guess what I went? I said, Dodger Stadium. Said, what? And guess what, dude? I bought a Dodger hat. No! Right? Crazy. But we were going to Dollar Dodger Dog Night, and I was enthused. I was excited about this. I'd never been there, right? I heard all this thing about Dodger dogs, right? And, and good. It was, it was like there was an excited response and anticipation. I shared with you last Saturday, or last Saturday, I took my family to the Avengers movie, right? Everyone got up early. It was a 9 a.m. showing on a Saturday. There was this general enthusiasm in the house, this general excitement that we were going somewhere and something was going to happen. We had the tickets, we had Fandango, we reserved it. It was there, right? Barring a catastrophe, we were going to be watching the Avengers Endgame. Right. Yeah. Right. There was no response. And I just wonder, why is the church so dead? Where's the response to the confident expectation that right now your name is written in the book of life? Right now, your name, if you're a believer, is written in the book of life. I mean, right. I, I. See, and so what we sometimes what the church gets caught up in doing, you know, we're going to play music and we're going to do the light show and we're going to try to we're going to try to rile you up. That's just exhausting. I mean, let the biblical truth of biblical hope be enough to rile you up. Let the truth transform you. That's what it's about. Right. Let the creed impact your conduct. Right. Let it come from there. That's, that's what we're talking about. And so what have we learned? Real quick, if you haven't been here, what have we learned about biblical hope? Biblical hope is a person, Jesus. Biblical hope is rooted in Scripture. Biblical hope impacts our joy, faith, and love. Biblical hope motivates us to be godly. Biblical hope is part of our testimony. Biblical hope is an anchor for our lives. Right? We've seen this the last few weeks. So the question, again, is, you know, sometimes we, we, we in the church, we will say, okay, well now we've got to reach the community, and here's how we're going to reach the community. We're going to share these 
things with the community. And we make it very programmatic. You know how you reach the community? Biblical hope. Let the community see you living with living hope. Let the people see your confident expectation, your joy, your enthusiasm in Christ so that they go, dude, what's up with you? I noticed something about you since Easter. Something has changed about you. You used to be a worry wart. You used to be all fearful and sad. You used to be circumstance driven. Now, I just noticed something. There's more of a calm about you. You kind of got this goofy smile sometimes, and I don't even know why. What's that goofy smile about, dude? Yeah, you want to you want to reach the community. Let let the living hope well up. Just be you. Have living hope, even in the midst of dire circumstances. That will be the testimony. When you have living hope and, and God, for whatever reasons, allows this horrific thing to happen in your life and you are walking through it with living hope, who's watching you? The world. Who's scratching their head? The world. Who wants it? What you have? The world. That's what we're talking about, right? And so in Romans fifteen thirteen, Paul is writing to the believers in Rome and he has this incredible prayer for them. This incredible prayer. I love it. The ESV says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In the NIV, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. New Living, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, here's here's a great thing. If you ever wondered, Lord, how should I pray? A, pray that for you personally. I pray that God, the source of hope, you will fill me completely. And that right there is an incredible prayer to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, how should I pray for you? You want to wake up in the morning? Pray that over somebody. Lord, Lord God, the source of hope, I pray that you will fill Betty completely with joy and peace because she trusts in you. I pray that Betty will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, Lord, I pray that you, God, the source of hope, I pray that you will fill Ernie completely with joy and peace because Ernie trusts in you then I pray that Ernie will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Man, you want to pray the scripture over a brother and sister in Christ? Pray that. Receive that, right? And so we're going to look at that uh, because he's talking about in Proverbs 4.23, it says this, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. So what he's talking about here is, Lord Let this living hope, let joy, peace, confident hope be such a profound, powerful thing in a believer's heart and life that it goes outward like this. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It's a heart issue. So living hope is a heart issue. It comes from here and it goes out, Right? So, Garrett, if you put up uh, Romans 15, 13 again in the ESV, we're just going to look at this, right? It says the God of hope. What does that mean? 
It means God is the source and the giver of hope. The God of hope. Here's what it also means. God wants to give you hope. Do you want it? God is the source. He's the giver. And he wants. He wants to give you hope. Right? And that word fill, may the God of hope fill. What does that mean? Fill to the brim, to pervade, to take possession of and ultimately control. Same words as Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He wants to fill you to the brim with what? All joy and peace. Overflowing to the brim. Not like 10%, not 5%, right? Not 100% for the really spiritual, and then you get the leftovers, the drip, 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 right? No, the God of hope wants to fill you as a believer, every believer, every believer to the brim with all joy and peace. I don't know about you, that kind of lights me up. Because many of us, you, you live like you're begging crumbs from your Heavenly Father. You live in this beggar, less than, finger-wagging God who is just going to begrudgingly bless you because He has to if you don't mess up. How many of us live under that, that skewed, unbiblical view of our Heavenly Father? The God of hope, the source, the giver of hope, wants to fill you, his son and daughter, with all joy and peace. He's waiting. He wants to give it to you. I don't know, Randy. I mean, I don't know. It's the whole kid, right? I mean, if you have a kid and you're, you're, you're a parent and you're like, hey, kid, I want to give you all of this. And your kid's like, uh, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I mean, how many of us just live in our relationship with the Heavenly Father? Uh, um, I'm good, I think. Yeah, I'm good. I'm getting along. I'm okay. I'm okay. Hold that all stuff. I'm good. Filter that. I'm good. It's crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't you know? You gotta, you gotta let that sink in. The God of hope wants to fill you to the brim with all joy and peace. So, let's make a little practical application. As you sit here today, let's say you have a joy tank, and let's say you have a peace tank. Don't, don't, uh, you don't have to share with your neighbor. Where is it? Where is it? See, we have a well out there. And we discovered recently that we need to start using the well or the, the county or the state will take the well. And so we're going to start, we have a vision to start using the well. So, and, and we discovered two years ago when we first got here, the water level was about 100 feet. It was so deep that the, what do you call that thing? The pump. It was below the pump, right? Recently, they checked our well level right out here and it's 48 feet. Water table came up, right? So we can start using it. It's awesome. So... 148. Okay. Where's your joy and peace? Is your joy below the pump level? 
Is your peace below the pump level? And what if I asked your friends and your coworkers and your family members about where they think your joy and peace tank is? What would they say? Because that's what we're talking about here. Right? It's amazing. We tend to skew everything to our favor. So let's just turn it around and say, if I were to ask your coworkers where your joy and peace tank is, if I were to ask your spouse, if I were to ask your kids, your neighbor, where's your joy and peace? Is it below the pump? <laughs> because according to that, he wants to top it off. What this means visually for us is that that well level rises all the way to where the water, and I think it did at one point, the water comes out the top and it's filling up the field. I heard at one point it was doing that years and years and years ago. It came to the top and was just overflowing. That's the word picture of what the God of hope wants for his kids. That is what he wants. So where is your joy? Where is your peace? If you're honest, just be, just be straight up honest with yourself. Where is your joy and peace right now? Where is it? Because that verse says, the God of hope, your Heavenly Father wants it to be gushing, wants it to be flowing, overflowing, in spite of circumstance. In spite of circumstance, in spite of even your feelings. That's what he wants to do, right? But he says there's a key word there, in believing, we're going to come back to in believing, we're going to say, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in what? Hope. So supernaturally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that word abound, the word picture is a river overflowing its banks. Just like the well overflowing. The God of hope wants to fill you with all joy and peace so that in your life, hope is abounding, overflowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the word picture. Now here's the deal, guys. That's supposed to be normative. That's not a one-off. That's not for the hyper-spiritual or the super-spiritual or God's A-team. That is supposed to be true for us as a whole. He's writing to the believers in the church of Rome. It's all the believers in the church of Rome. This is not the A-team he's talking to. This is not the Tuesday nighters. This is everybody in every circumstance. Everybody in every circumstance. Whether you're a believer for one minute or 50 years. Everyone in this room, wherever you are, as a believer, that's supposed to be normative. It doesn't mean you don't have your ups and downs. It doesn't mean you don't have to work through trials. It just means as a general truth in your life, you are to be filled with all joy and peace and have hope abounding in your life. So why don't we? That's a million dollar question, isn't it then? You want to know what's going on? If my father wants to do all this for me, what's going on? Well, kind of the foundation of this verse and in your life and in my life is right there. In believing. See, it says the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the supernatural God part. In believing is whose part? Whose? That's my part. It's my part. So we're going to look at this, right? That in believing, it means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy to trust. It's your practice or lifestyle. It's habitually believing, right? 
And I've tried to explain to you before, what is biblical faith? It's not just knowledge. It's not just assent. It's not just saying, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe in that. Yeah. No, it's trust. It involves your whole being. I've given you this example and over and over, and it resonates with you, I think, different times. Those chairs. You're sitting in a chair right now, exercising biblical faith. How many of you have been nervous about the chair collapsing this morning? How many of you plopped right down without a second thought? How many of you right now are resting your full weight? What are you doing right now? You're exercising faith. You believe the chair will hold you. So he's even told you the chair, you know, you can read the manual about it, how much weight it can hold, etc., etc., what it's made of. But until you're sitting in there, that's not biblical faith. Now you're sitting in there. It's your mind, your will, everything is now, your whole being is exercising faith in that chair. That's what he's talking about here. That's biblical faith. And it is key because it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So the question is, where are you in your believing? Because there's a direct correlation between your believing and your faith and your experience of joy, peace, and abounding hope. has to go back to your believing. And I'm not, necess- I'm not talking about salvation right now. Now, that is the first step. You've got to put your faith in Jesus alone, salvation. What we're talking about here, because remember, he's writing to believers. He's talking to the believers, and he's asking, and he's encouraging, say, hey, believers, in your believing. So if you don't want to, for a little bit, I want, to, I want to just speak to the believers here and, and ask God to speak to your heart about where you are in your believing. Not in your salvation. This is, we're talking sanctification now. We're talking sanctification. Ray Stedman says this. Oftentimes people come to me and say, what is the matter with my Christian life? I have come to a plateau where I seem to be so bored and nothing interesting is happening. And I have lost all vision and joy and victory in my life. It seems to be so dull and lifeless. What can I do? For years I think I gave a wrong answer to that. I said to them, well, are you reading the Bible? And usually it turned out that they weren't. Or, are you having times of prayer? And I gave, that, I gave the pat answer, which is so easily given by most. What you need is time for prayer and reading the scriptures. Prayer in the Bible. Right? So someone comes to Ray Stedman, pastor, and says, Hey, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm lukewarm. I'm just kind of dry. And he's saying what he typically does is give what he found out to be the wrong answer. Do more stuff. Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you reading? Are you praying? Come to Tuesdays. Right? Come to Sundays. More, we, really, we try to get you doing. But this is what he discovered. He says this. But I have come to see that this isn't the answer. What they need is to believe what they read in Scripture. And believe what they pray. That is the answer. These other things are merely mechanics which make possible the believing. But believing is the real answer. It isn't Bible reading or prayer or Christian fellowship that unlocks the power of the Holy Spirit. It is believing what you read or what you pray. When you believe that Jesus Christ indwells you, when you believe that he is all that you need, when you believe that he intends to act through you, then you can act. You discover that all that he is becomes visible through you and accomplishes all that needs to be done. The result is power and joy and peace. You don't necessarily need to be doing more, guys. You need to be believing it. You need to be believing it. 
Drive this stake in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be scary. Your heart's going to be beaten. You're going to be one of them there born-againers. You've got to believe it. You can go to Tuesday night till you know, Jesus comes back. But if you don't believe it, you're, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. You've got to believe it. So the question is, do you believe what you say you believe? Do you really believe the resurrection? Do you believe it? Will you stake your life on it? Would you stake your eternity? Do you believe it? See, this is where, you, this is, you know, you've got you to gotta have some soul-searching time with God. And you say, Lord, do I really believe this? Or am I just parroting what my parents said? Am I just parroting what my pastor said? Am I just parroting what the author said? Am I just parroting what the podcast guy said? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I had a great conversation with one of my kids yesterday. And I said, you know what? Sometimes people ask me, how did you, how did you do it with your kids? They all seem da 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 I'm like, here's the deal. I live my life Take this the right way. Independent of them. I'm a follower of Jesus. I have to believe this. I'm not consumed with getting them to believe it. I live my life as a believer. They all have to come to belief on their own. I can role model it. I can demonstrate it. I can try to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. But they have to believe each individual person because each of them are accountable to God. Not me. So a long time ago, I was like, i got to believe this. And then, Lord, I pray that as a believer, as I'm walking in faith and obedience and trust, that that's going to somehow influence and set an example for that my kids want that. That my kids want that. But my number one goal isn't to get them to believe. I can't get them to believe. Right? That's between them and God. That is between them and God. They all have to make that decision. Because they all have to stand before him. They're not standing before me. Right? And so it's this issue of do you really believe what you say you believe? Because according to that verse, you'll be filled. The God of hope wants to fill you to the brim with all joy and peace. In what? In what? In believing. Do you believe? Do you believe? You see, years and years ago, I had a dear friend, uh, Larry, and every once in a while, the guys would get together, and, and we didn't gamble or anything, but, you know, we, we were very competitive, so we'd play Texas Hold'em, just for fun, for bragging rights, you know, and we had chips, and we just fellowship, and there's a bunch of guys, and if you've ever played poker or Texas Hold'em, you know sometimes there's an all-in moment, there's an all-in moment, where you believe you've got the best hand. And so you push all your chips in and you say, I'm all in. Now, if you ever watch it on TV or it's weird, we're not even playing for real money. It's just all fun. But the minute you say all in and you, and you push in, you have to stand up. Why? Because you get so <laughs> like it's on like this. This is it. I could either be going home or I'm going to win this thing. Right? It's an all-in moment and just so much emotion and, and, and excitement wheels up that the guys on TV stand up and they're walking around because it's all in. They're all in. Are you all in? Have you pushed all in with Jesus? Have you pushed all in? Have you, have you just driven the stake in the ground? Have you cut all the stuff to the past and you just pushed in all in to where you're like... 
Are you all in? Are you all in, right? William Barclay tells a story of a meeting in a certain church at a time of emergency. The meeting was opened with prayer by the chairman. He addressed God as almighty and eternal God, whose grace is sufficient for all things. When the prayer was finished, the business part of the meeting began, and the chairman introduced the business by saying, Friends, the situation in this church is completely hopeless, and nothing can be done. Almighty and eternal God, whose grace is sufficient for all things. Friends, the situation in this church is completely hopeless and nothing can be done. Same guy, two seconds later. Eloquent prayer! Nothing theologically incorrect. But then the truth comes out about he really believes. His word betrayed his belief. His actions betrayed his belief. Friends, the situation in this church is completely hopeless and nothing can be done. Not even an almighty and eternal God whose grace is sufficient for all things. So question. Do you believe what you believe? Because you're singing some pretty killer songs around here. Living hope. Anchor of my soul. Anthem of my heart. Right? We sing some and, and intentionally very theologically correct songs that point us to the nature of God. Do you believe what you sing? Do you believe what you sing? Come on. Right? It's powerful because that verse says that it all kind of hinges on our belief. On our belief. Right? And so in Mark 9, 14 and 19, Jesus had taken three of his boys up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down, and there's this commotion. And they're coming up, and they see a crowd, and the, the remaining nine are in this heated argument with some scribes, some religious leaders. Right? And so Jesus and, and his three boys, they roll up and say, Hey, what's going on? And this father had brought his demon-possessed son. He had heard Jesus was around, so he came looking for Jesus. And the disciples, the, the remaining nine tried to heal this demon-possessed son and couldn't. And couldn't. Right? And so, in verse, uh, and he says in verse 18, And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, this is Jesus, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And then we'll pick up in Mark 9.20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father's child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that, the crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So this father comes up, and don't miss this. And well, I left, I underlined it. He says to Jesus, right? He's maybe affected by the disciples' failure. So he shows up and he says, Hey, Jesus, 
if you can. Is there an area of life where you're doubting God's ability? When you're in what area of your life right now do you have a but if you can? And it's clouding your belief. It's impacting your joy. It's impacting your peace. Because you're not really sure God can handle it right now. What is it? Right? And I love when Jesus kind of calls them out, right? And Jesus said, if you can. Jesus gets a little bit like, what are you talking about, dude? Do you know who I am? So he kind of says that to you and me. What's the area I just asked you about? What area right now are you, if you can, if you can, if you can, Jesus, can you? Can you handle my finances? Jesus, can you handle this relationship? Jesus, can you? Can you handle you? Can you? Can you? And he's like saying to you, yo, if you can. If you can. What do you mean if I can't? You're asking me, God's son, resurrected from the dead, if I can handle your finances? Right? And then he says this, right? There's, there's that uh, verse that says, Immediately the father child cried out and said to him, I believe, help my unbelief. A lot of people kind of misconstrue that and they throw this father under the, under the bus and they go, Ah, you see, he wasn't... No. That is a powerful, powerful prayer that believers should probably be praying every day. Because it's an acknowledgement. I have faith. But you have brought me to a place in my sanctification where I need more faith. You see, we talk about sanctification being becoming more and more like Jesus for the rest of your life on this planet. How many of you would like to be more and more like Jesus for the rest of your life on this planet? Okay, here's how that's going to happen. Actually, here's how it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen by you creating a safe little Jesus box and living there. That is not how you're going to become more like Jesus. How you're going to become more like Jesus and was when he says, hey, get out of the boat and come follow me. And suddenly you're like, Lord, I believe, but help my own belief. And when you pray that, You're acknowledging, I have faith, but I need you to give me more faith. I need you to enlarge my faith. I need your faith in this area. And then when you get that faith and you exercise it, that's when you change. That's when you become more like Jesus. See, a lot of us want to say, oh, Lord, change me. Lord, grow me. Lord, heal me. Lord, do this. Lord, fix this. And he's like... Get out of the boat. Take a step that way, and you get, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) And you come and you talk to us, and we're like, hey, this is probably what you need to do. You can do this, 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 some real practical biblical counsel you get from us or from others, and it requires you to go here. And you're like, oh, oh, oh. And you come right back in. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, because I ain't going back in. I'm staying right here. I am scared. I am terrified. I am insecure. I've never been here before. How are you going to be more like Jesus if you're unwilling to follow Him into uncharted territory? 
You're going to be more like Jesus walking and following him wherever he leads you. And it's going to be scary. And you're going to feel this. And you're going to, uh, and what is, and that's called faith. That's called faith. A lot of us in the church, we build our little kingdoms. And we're really ruling the kingdom. And we're really the shot callers. And we decide what we're going to do and not do. And it goes on for days and weeks and years and years. And you wonder why you don't grow spiritually. Because you got your kingdom. And you're the king or the queen. Jesus said, come follow me. They left the nets and followed him. Okay. Peter, get out of the boat. I believe. Help my unbelief. What area in your life makes that a real prayer? Right now. Right now. What area in your life, what area of faith and belief is God saying, do this, come follow me, and you're shaking in your boots. Oh, help my unbelief, Lord. Everything in me wants to go back. Everything on me wants to play it safe. Everything in me wants you just to like, you know, I don't want to make waves. And what if you're going to think about me? And I don't want to, and I don't want to. And versus, Lord, help me. I believe, help my unbelief. Because I've got to follow you, Jesus, no matter what. Because I drove the stake in the ground. I drove the stake in the ground. And this is particularly challenging for the church. For the church. Ian Weatherall says this. Actually, Barnabas Piper. We look at Barnabas Piper, son of John Piper. He says this. I was blinded by the truth I knew. I had fooled myself into thinking I was living by faith in God when instead I was living a life shaped by knowledge of Him. And those are very different things. See, you can read a lot about God and about Christianity and about the church and you can shape into your life into a very good moral life and even call yourself a Christian. That doesn't mean you're living by faith. It just means you shaped your life into a good, moral, Christian-looking life. But are you really living by faith? Do you really believe what you say you believe? Or do you just have a life shaped by knowledge about God and what you're supposed to be doing? What did Jesus say? I never knew you. Right? When Jesus says, I never knew you, what does that mean? Gnosko. I never knew you personally. We never had a relationship. You knew a lot about me. But I never knew you, bro. I never knew you, man. Do you live a life that you have shaped yourself, your kingdom? Or are you living by faith? Are you living by faith? Right? He goes on to say this. Trust in God stems from understanding his character, not his reasons. Questions indicate belief only if you actually want an answer. I love this last part. Often... The intellectual obstacle to belief is a convenient excuse for rebellion. Oh, I got to think about that. Oh, let me think about that. What's it say in the Greek? What's it say? I'm not saying anything's wrong with study, but you know what? You can study yourself to death if you want to just rebel and be disobedient. Just hide, just hide behind studying. More and more study. More and more study. What did he say to the religious leaders? You study the scriptures because by them you think you have life, but you refuse to come to me. There's a lot in the church, a lot of people in the church right now, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, podcast, 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 book, 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 book. But it's all, it's all a smoke screen, so you don't have to do anything. You're studying 
has substituted obedience. You've intellectualized your faith so you don't have to do anything with it. You don't even have to believe it. You, don't have to, you just study. Study for study's sake. Right? Muck, 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 muck. Another book, another book, another sermon, another sermon, another sermon, another podcast, another sermon, another, another conference. Now let's talk conference. We need a conference. Just got to believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What's the area in your life where you got to get out of the boat? Where you got to get out of the boat? Where you got to really trust Him? Right? In just a little over an hour, we're going to have baptisms. Baptism is a celebration of each person's profession of faith in Jesus. But you know what baptism is? A celebration of obedience and faith. People who are being baptized because Bill did a great job the last few weeks understanding biblical baptism. Why you get baptized biblically, that baptism is an issue of obedience. Do you believe it? If you believe it, then you'll get baptized. If you don't believe it, you've got to ask yourself, what's your area of unbelief then? You see... Disobedience in my life, in your life, if you were to look at the root, ask yourself this question. Lord, what is the unbelief I'm dealing with? Disobedience at its core is about unbelief. You don't believe that God is God. You don't believe he's good. You don't believe he's sovereign. You don't believe he's in control. You don't believe God's word is authoritative and truth. You don't believe God's will is the best. So when you, if you're struggling right now, this very second, with an area of, uh, of disobedience in your life, ask it this way. Lord, what am I not believing? What is my unbelief that I need you to help me? The Father's Prayer. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Okay. What is it? If you're being disobedient, ask God to show you what, you don't, what you're not believing. Ask him where to show you what your unbelief is. Lord, help me with my unbelief. It's a walk of faith. Coming to this facility from the Wesleyan Church two years ago. Oh, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. We had that prayer. We prayed that, Lord, I believe you want us to go there. I believe you supernaturally provided, but help our unbelief because that's a lot of cash. It was a faith that helped our unbelief, right? Are you dealing with worry, anxiety, fear? What's the unbelief? Because Matthew 6 says not to worry. Philippians says be anxious for nothing. What's the unbelief? What's the unbelief? You're struggling with loving one another? You're struggling with loving your enemies? As Jesus said, what's the unbelief? What's the unbelief? If you're, if you're struggling with forgiveness... And compassion, what's the unbelief? What's the unbelief? If you're struggling, the Bible says all of us have been given gifts and we're supposed to use those gifts in the church. So if you're not serving, if you're, if you're disobeying God's call to serve, what's the unbelief? What's the unbelief? If you don't even want to come to church, Hebrews 10 says don't forsake the gathering, right? If you don't want to be committed to a local body, what's the unbelief? What's the unbelief? You see, if you change your, your words about obedience in your life and you really ask God to show you, Lord, where am I struggling with belief? It can set you free. 
Because then, Lord, I believe, but help me, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. A lot of people are getting baptized because God helped them with their unbelief. We're not baptizing a bunch of newbies who just got saved. We're baptizing people who heard Bill teach the Word of God about baptism. Biblical. He said it was obedience. He gave you scripture. They believed it. They overcame past unbelief and disobedience. You see, people getting baptized had a Lord help my unbelief moment. Many of them. Or else they would have been baptized before. (laughs) And by the way, it's still not too late. We'll be there. And if God says right now, if his specific application to you right now is you get baptized today. Oh, but I didn't sign up. I didn't bring anything to wear. What's your unbelief? What's your unbelief? Show up and get wet and drive home wet. I mean, come on, right? I mean, your seat will dry. We'll bring an extra towel. I don't know, but come on, man. I mean, we're so good. We're just so good at rational. I can't go. My car will get wet. (laughs) I love this quote by Søren Kierkegaard. It is so hard to believe because it is so hard to obey. So if you're struggling with obedience, you're probably struggling with belief. So then you ask yourself, Lord, where's my unbelief in this area? If I'm worried anxiety, if I'm filled with worry and anxiety, what am I not believing about you? What am I not believing about your word? What am I not believing about your your will? Every year in your life, if you're struggling with disobedience, ask God to show you your unbelief and then to help you. Pray, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And here's the crazy thing. He will. Because Romans 15, 13, go ahead, Gary, put it back up, says this. NLT, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. You see, when you say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, you know what that is? It's a prayer of trust. You're trusting him to help you. It's not a prayer of condemnation. You're like, Lord, I want to live a life that pleases you. Lord, I want to honor you. Lord, I want to obey. Will you please help my unbelief? I'm trusting you to do that. It's a prayer of trust that God is going to help you overcome your unbelief. Your unbelief. That's what that is. So what is it today? What, honestly, if you want to have this filled to the brim, abounding hope, it's inescapably rooted in your belief, in your faith, in your trust. Right? The beginning of service, if you're here, I shared that Cinco de Mayo is really a victory day when the Mexican army defeated the French army at the Battle of Puebla. It was victory. So here's the opportunity for you today to experience victory. Choose today. Pick one area and say, Lord, today, by faith, I'm going to have victory because I'm going to ask you to help me in my unbelief in this area. And then I'm going to do what you say. 
I'm going to do it scared, but I'm doing the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm getting out of the boat. I am going to experience victory on this single de Mayo. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's a prayer of faith, guys. That's a prayer of trust. What is it today that God says to you specifically, do you trust me? Do you believe me? Get out of the boat. Let's experience victory together. Amen? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you want to fill us with all joy and peace. You want, through the power of the Holy Spirit, for us to abound in hope. It's normative. It should be true for all believers across the board. And yet, Lord, we've seen today, very clearly, very simply, it's rooted in faith. We are filled in believing. We're filled in believing. Lord, this Father said to you, I believe, help my unbelief. So Lord, I'm going to ask you to speak very specifically to your children this morning. What area of disobedience, what, what are we not believing? What are we not believing? Do we not believe your goodness? Do we not believe your power? Do we not believe your sovereignty, your control over everything? Do we not believe that there is nothing too difficult for you? Lord, do we not believe that your, your, your scriptures is your word, is the truth? It's, do we not believe it's authoritative? Lord, do we not believe that your will is really best? God, please help our unbelief. We want victory. We want victory. And Lord, you know our frailty, you know our humanness, you know our, uh, Lord, our hang-ups, our habits, our fear of man, fear of what people are going to think about us. But Lord, by faith today, on this single de Mayo, we want victory in Jesus. We believe. Help our unbelief.